0: All right, take your Bibles, go to the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi, if you're you're a guest with us, or actually if you've been here the last three weeks, you still haven't found Malachi, I love you, keep trying, you're going to get it one of these times. Uh, Use the table of contents, that's more than fine, you can scan the QR code that was up there, you can can just start the book of Matthew and work backwards, one book and you're there. So I think you could do this. Um, I've cheated, I have a ribbon in my Bible, and so I find it every time. Hey, just a quick um, caveat there. Uh, with, with Carrie. Um, it's kind of a mind-blowing thing for me. I've known Carrie for like 15 or 20 years, um, completely lost touch with her. When I was a uh, pastor in the Philadelphia area, I, my original gig was I was sing- a single adult pastor, and so she was one of our single adults from a different church, and we would run a yearly retreat at a camp, and she was one of the regulars that was there every year, and um, Let's just, that is the most reserved I've ever seen Carrie. She makes me look like I've never met a cup of coffee, <laughs> right? But uh, a, few, a few months ago, they were like, yeah, we have a new global partner that uh, uh, I think Vicky had connected with, and so we're going to introduce her, and her name's Carrie Kennard. I'm like, I know that name. How do I know that name? It's like, whoa. So we did, Miles and I did an interview with her uh, over uh, um, Secure Ways, and uh, it was really kind of funny because I'm like, so so hi Carrie. She's like, that's who you are. I'm like, come on. Um, she's like, I knew I was supposed to know you, but I couldn't remember why, which really hurt my feelings, going to be honest with you. I, was, I thought it was kind of a big deal, but evidently I was not. Um, now, uh, she is a fan, it's, it's a perfect global partner for us as a church to connect with in that region. And so I really look forward to our continued relationship with her as, as a church. So this morning, the book of Malachi, as we kind of Dive in together. We're gonna be at the end of chapter two, the beginning of, of chapter three. Just to give you a little backstory, not a lot, but at this moment, what's happening is all of the expectations that the people of Judah, the people of Israel, have, uh, aren't materializing. They had received all these prophecies, and 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 again, let me let me give you a little snapshot of prophecy. Prophecy comes in the Old Testament, and when the prophet stands before the people and shares this prophecy. Um, it it would be kind of like us driving towards the mountains. In the distance, you can see the mountains, and it's it's pretty much like, you know, it would be like an elementary school kid drawing on the picture. This is what the mountains look like, and there's the line. It's like, oh, very, okay, cool. But as you get closer to the mountain range, what you find is there are peaks within peaks, Right? You find there's a depth and a breadth to that mountain range. There's 3D moments, and it's, it's in and out and up and down, but you didn't realize that when you were standing so far back. It just looked like a, a line that was up through the sky. Prophecy is a lot like that. When the prophecy is given, you stand back and you're like, okay, I think I understand. But as you get closer into its fulfillment, you realize there are nooks and crannies that you never could have possibly imagined. Well, the people of Israel had been given a number of prophecies about how after their exile, after they'd been taken away as a punishment for their sin, they'd be returned home. And, and, and they would enjoy the, the renewed presence of God. They would enjoy this prosperity. They would expect a... a, a a reformation even within their country with their people, they'd expect this peace and this prosperity. And at this time, the writing of Malachi, the people aren't seeing it. They're not seeing it, and they're frustrated. And, And they're making accusations against God. Now, I know, if you're like me, I apologize at first. I'll just say that, I apologize if you're like me. Um, but if you're like me, you see that, you hear that, and you're like, what's wrong with these people? Like, I am the most critical of the disciples. Like, you guys are idiots, morons. You have Jesus right there with you, and you're asking all the questions. Like, can I sit next to you? I mean, how dumb is that? And yet, I'm so much worse than them. After everything God has done for me, there were times this week, we are in this solitude of the the cab of my truck as i drove home on friday where i said seriously god this this is this is dumb after everything he's done for me and yet i'd question him after everything god has done for these people He made them a nation when they weren't a nation. He called them from a vast number of people, a relatively small group of people, and he made them to be his people. God delivered these people out of Egypt. He he led them away from Pharaoh's entire army as they were being pursued. He, He brought these people up to the Red Sea and then miraculously parted the waters so they could walk through. He, he was with them and led them and provided for them as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. He brought them into the land that he had promised them. He, he gave them a sacrificial system so that they could know that God's presence was with them and, and how they could be in right relationship with him. God conquered enemies for them. He established them among the nations. And, and as Malachi told us at the beginning of his book, God loved you. What else do I have to do? Can you imagine how frustrating it is for God to hear my prayer on Friday afternoon? Can you imagine what else? What else do I have to do? Well, look at chapter two, verse 17, let's start reading. "You have wearied the Lord with your words." Yet you ask, how have we wearied him? When you say, everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he's delighted with them, or else where is this God of justice? See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's bleach. He'll be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And those offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. I will come in judgment. And I'll be ready to witness against sorcerers, adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. See, they don't fear me, says the Lord of armies. Because I, the Lord, have not changed. You, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. See, for these people, some bad stuff had happened. Or the good stuff they had hoped would happen or expected to happen hadn't happened. And so what they are doing is they are crying out, where is this God of justice we've heard so much about? Why, why don't you act? I mean, come on, Lord, there's some, some bad stuff is happening, or, or probably better, I don't like what's happening. So come on, God, show them. Show them. Wipe them out. We want God to judge the evil of other people but we forget that God is also going to judge our own evil. We want him to come and punish the evildoer, but we fail to realize we are the evildoer. So when we cry out, God, come get them, we forget them is us. And they ask that question, where is this God of justice? And in verse 17 of chapter 2 Uh, That is the worst thing I could possibly have been studying this week as I considered my prayer to God in my truck on Friday. Because what it says is this, you have wearied me, God says. In other words, oh, seriously, this guy. I mean, I've, I've, I've certainly created that response, although my wife is incredibly gracious and kind. She doesn't do it often. She should do it far more often. But when she does that, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. But for the God of the universe. I know some of you are like, but Frank, you said we could pray anything. You absolutely can, but there's something different happening here. They don't want justice, they don't want fairness. They want what they want. And they're, they're pulling on that cord or they're, they're punching the button on the cosmic vending machine and it's just not coming out the way they expected it to come out. I wanted Coke. Why did I get Sprite? God says, oh man, you guys. <laughs> you have wearied me. How have we wearied you? By saying that everyone who is doing evil is good in my sight, or that I'm delighted with the evil that they're doing, and then you call out, where is this God of justice? Well, here I am, he says in chapter 3, verse 1. That first word in the Christian standard Bible, see, can also be translated as behold, which also can be translated as here I am. Here's the, the thing that we see in verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? Here I am, God says, and I show up. Who can stand before me? Um, hold that thought. I'm going to step over here because this has nothing to do with the message. <laughs> um, some of the most underappreciated people in our building on a Sunday morning are the tech team. Our sound guy, our, our button guy, our video, visual guy. Um, so I super appreciate them, particularly when my technology doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. So regularly, for the poor dude on the computer in the back, I'm like, all right, hey, Noah, stick with me, man. We'll see if we can do this. So that was free. If you're interested in being called out like that during a service, we would love to talk to you. Come on back. <laughs> my remote crashed again. And so, so my remote, if you see me do this, Noah and I have a signal. You ready? Here's my signal. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, it'll be way more subtle than that. All right, so so God says, who could possibly stand before me? And the psalmist says, oh, you, God, speaking like you're you're to be feared when you're angry. Who can stand before you? Isaiah spoke like this, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel falls down when he comes face to face with God. David, throughout the Psalms, continues to do this. John, in the book of Revelation, falls flat as if dead when they come into contact with God. The story I mentioned a few weeks ago about the moving of the ark, If you go back to the Philistines had conquered the Israelites, had taken the ark for themselves, and they're like, we've got the ark, yeah, we've got the Israel's super pellet that like Pac-Man eats, and so they put it in the temple with their false god Dagon, and so they set it next to Dagon, they're like, this is amazing, and they all go to bed, and they wake up the next morning, they come in, and Dagon fell over before the ark, very interesting posture, they're like, what just happened? Let's prop him back up. That was weird. I didn't feel an earthquake. Did you feel an earthquake? I didn't feel an earthquake. i him back up there. Cool. And they go to bed, and they come back the next night, and Dagon has again fallen down before the ark, but this time his head is cut off, and his arms are cut off, and the Philistines are like, we don't want the ark anymore. Somebody else has got to take it, and so they they find this people, um, the people of Beth Shemesh, and, and they, they bring the ark, and as the Philistines are bringing the ark to the people of Beth Shemesh, the people of Bethshemesh are are rejoicing, like this this is the visible representation of the power, the authority, and even the presence of God. We're going to celebrate this. This is amazing. It's coming into our presence, and they bring sacrifices, and they give a burnt offering, and, and, and then they bring the ark, and so they put it on this large rock in the field of Joshua from Bethshemesh, and actually the Uh, The the narrator of 1 Samuel 6 actually makes the comment, and it can still be seen there. Um, So it's it's there, right? And they put the ark on top of it, and I have no clue what happens next. None. Up to that point, everything makes sense. Seventy people decide it would be a good idea to crack open the ark to look what's inside. And it says, 70 people are put to death immediately. I can only imagine it was 70 people at once because there ain't no way I'm person number 70 like, why is everybody dying? I want to see. I mean, it's not that, right? And as the people of Beth Shemesh looked and saw this happen, First Samuel 6, 20, whoops, says this. <laughs> I'm done. So who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God. And then their next comment, to whom can we give this ark to? And we want no part of this. And yet you are saying, God, where are you? We just need to show up. Bring justice. Hey, friends, the message of Malachi is this. Be careful what you ask for. God is not to be trifled with. He's not an errand boy who's busy about doing what we want him to do. Hey, let me tell you this. He's coming. He's coming. And I'm going I'm to attack the passage a little backwards just because I, I think it, it sets up better just presentation-wise. Verse, verse 5, he says, I am coming with judgment. Judgment. Be careful what you ask for. He is coming with judgment. I will be ready to witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, against those who deny justice to the the resident alien. These are, so who are these people? Who are the sorcerers? I don't know who the sorcerers are. I have an opinion. I believe the sorcerers, we have modern day sorcerers. Um, They're like, do you have an ailment? Let's mix a little mint with a little anointed, I always call them anointed oils and mess up the joke. It's essential oils. Let's get, those are the sorcerers. Just saying. Maybe the spirit will move and just convict you of your sin. That's okay. We'll move along. I'm just kidding. It's not that. The sorcerers are the people who want to play God. They're the people who want to be like, all right, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then God will have to produce like that. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this mantra. I'm going to mix this potion. I'm going to do this. and Bam, I get whatever I want. You know why? Because they don't fear God. They really like themselves, though. The adulterers, those who are immoral in their relationships, we've already talked about that from last week, didn't we? You're not treating marriage the way it should be be treated. The ones who lie, who swear falsely, why do they lie? Because they don't fear God. Against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, the fatherless, the people who can't speak up for themselves, the people who can't protect themselves, those are the ones they're going after. Why? Because they don't fear God. And against those who deny justice, <coughs> excuse me, to the resident alien. And he says it right there. Why? They do not fear me. This judgment that God is going to bring is going to be swift, and it's going to be severe, and it's going to be for those who don't fear God. Take this seriously. people Malachi is speaking of are people who regularly attend worship. Remember, they're the ones who show up with the lame animal, the blind goat, the crippled calf. That that animal from their flock that they're just going to get rid of anyway. And they're like, here, God, I brought you a wonderful gift. No, man, if you do that, that means you don't. Fear God. There's no change in them. There's no difference in them from the the world around them. Friends, I'm going to tell you this right now. There are many people who attend Uniontown Bible Church, and, and I don't ever want to take that for granted. I am so glad you're here, but you need to understand that being in church for 90 minutes doesn't mean you fear God. When you walk out of this place, when you're interacting with that difficult person, You're struggling in your marriage. When you have an ethical decision to make, are you demonstrating a fear for God? Or have you placed yourself on His throne? So, you want justice. You want God to come and wipe out those people who aren't walking with Him, who are violating His word, who made a joke of His worship. You want God to judge them. You do know you are them, right? This got uncomfortable, didn't it? (laughs) This part is amazing. As they cry out for justice, God knows full well. Demonstrated by the divine head roll of, all these people. He knows full well that they're the ones that deserve him judging them. But his answer to them is this. I'm going to come with judgment, absolutely. But before I do that, I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. Again, beginning of chapter 3. Before I lower the boom, before I, I wipe anybody out, with good reason, first, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. A messenger is going to come, and that messenger is going to prepare the way. Now, in this time, this is the Persian Empire time. In this time, the Persian Empire made it a practice of sending messengers ahead of royalty. So if a a royal visit was to happen in a city, they would pick somebody from among their servants and and send them ahead, and as those people would would get there, they would prepare the way for the royalty. They would make sure that preparations were made. They would make sure that everything was adequate, everything was secure. They would warn some certain people, hey, just so you know, get your stuff together, because the, the the royal person's coming, and he's going to be here any minute now, so you should probably make sure you're ready. It was, it was like the, the advance team uh, before advance teams were a thing. And for us, as we read this, on this side of the cross and this side of history, we have the privilege of letting Jesus tell us who God's talking about. Matthew chapter 11 says this, As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about... John the Baptist. And Jesus says, this is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. John the Baptist is going to show up and he is going to proclaim as the messenger, as the preparation for the Messiah to come. Hey, the kingdom of heaven is just behind me. So before it gets here, you would better repent. Here comes this one, this one who's coming with judgment and healing in his wings. This one is coming. He is so great. He is so holy. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. You had better repent. What are you going to do as the kingdom of heaven is preached to you? I mean, John the Baptist did all of these things to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, which means if if Jesus says that John the Baptist is the, is, is the, 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 the messenger, the one who prepares the way, Then it means this, the end of verse 1. The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Guess who that is then? That's Jesus himself, friends. The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Jesus is born. Mary and Joseph have to bring Jesus to the temple for their dedication. As they come to the temple there is a man there named Simeon Simeon has been given a promise from God that that he wouldn't die until he got to see that promised Messiah He was waiting for what what my the, the Christian standard says is the uh consolation of israel it's the hope it's the the comfort of israel and that day when this one appears it's gonna be amazing and, and and it says the spirit led him to be in the temple on this day and so he's in the temple on that day i have no idea what he's doing he's just sitting there drinking coffee looking at all the people like is it that one is it that one i don't know but suddenly this young couple walks in holding one and simeon runs to this child and picks him out of mother his, his out of the baby's mother's arms raises him to the sky, is like, I can die now. Now, if you're Mary, you've got to be like, what in the world is happening? Give me back my baby. I can die now. This is the salvation that you promised. God, this is the glory that you said would return to your temple. Malachi says there is coming a day where suddenly, The Lord you seek (laughs) is going to come to his temple. Why? Because we desperately need him to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. And he he lays it out. What's what's this one going to do? Verse 2. He is going to be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He'll be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. So if you consider those things. Purify, refine. It can mean a couple of different things, okay? Um, okay, let me let me back this up. As you think about salvation, Malachi describes the work of God as his, as his act of purifying his people. And the two pictures that he gives is the one purifying silver or gold as well as the, the one who is laundering things with bleach. I like when, when God dumbs it down for me. And he says that's the picture that we need to go for. This, this isn't God showing up to destroy, this is God showing up to res- rescue, to, to prepare. He, he's going to purify them. And so, so understand this, when the refiner sits with the, the, the ore, the metal, he, he fires up that fire as hot as it can possibly get, and, and that ore melts and, and all the dross begins to burn away, and you get rid of the dross, you get rid of the dross, you get rid of the dross. The refiner doesn't leave that process, he sits right before Uh, the ore as it's being refined, and he continues to look at it. As dross comes to the top, he removes it. As dross comes to the top, he removes it. It's pure when he can look at that ore after being refined, and he can see his own reflection in it. God says, I'm going to do something for you you can't do for yourself. I'm going to send this one. He's going to suddenly show up in the temple, and then he is going to purify you because you can't be pure You're not pure. You can't do anything yourself. What he's going to do, he's going to make sure that what I see when I look at you is his face. I'm going to purify you. The launderer's bleach. How do you know when it's clean? When the spots are gone. I mean, that one's not tough, right? Depends on who defines when the spots are gone. Right? I'm not trying to, I always rip on kids. I'm sorry. Next week, I'm going to rip on parents. How's that? Kids, you know when you have kids, they're like, hey, did you clean it? I cleaned it! And you go, and it's like, that's disgusting. Did you even try? No, no, no. When God says that this launderer's bleach is going to be used to remove the spots, there is not going to be a spot remaining. What's the end result of the purifying and the the laundering? The end result is this. He says that these, the priests, the sons of Levi, will then present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, The offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old, as in the years gone by. When this is done for you, something amazing is going to happen. You are going to be able to go into his presence and stand. Jude tells us this in verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from suffering, sorry, stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. You come into his presence now refined and cleansed. That's something that you can't do for yourself. See, when when Malachi is giving this prophecy, I do believe that there's that, that... that etching of the mountains, and you're like, oh, well, okay, that must be when God comes at the end, and he stands in the Mount of Olives, like, this is it, it's on, and then I'm going to judge everybody that needs to be judged, and then we're going to be launched into eternity, it's to be amazing, but as you get closer, you realize there's even more than that, there's depth to it, there's breadth to it, there's other peaks, other valleys, other movements within that mountain range, where I get to come into his presence, and he's not just going to squash me, although he could, he's going to do something for me I can't do for myself, he's going to purify me, he's going to cleanse me. Um, I, think, I think all of us have spent some time, probably in the last five, ten years, being very general, <laughs> um, saying, God, what is going on? It's personal, probably, for some of us. Very personal for some of us. It's, it's, um, it's broader than personal at times. It can be national. It can be local. It can be international. It can be all those things. What is going on? And there have been times uh, where I echo the prayer of John at the end of Revelation. It's like, even so, Lord, just come quickly. I, I don't doubt for a moment that the glorious return of Jesus Christ is going to happen. Not for a moment do I doubt that. There are moments where I was like, "Why has it not happened yet?" <laughs> and what I needed to be reminded of this week is that when I reach that stage, when I complain about the lack of God's activity, his um, seeming lack of justice, when I grumble about the expectations. That remain unmet. When I think about it, the feelings, um, of what I think I deserve, <laughs> I am so glad that God does not give me what I deserve. And You should be too, because <laughs> I deserve hell, and so do you. But what we need to remember is this: we can't allow ourselves to misunderstand his seeming delay. It wasn't um, moral indifference. It isn't moral indifference that keeps him from acting in that finality of ways. It's certainly not God turning his back on us. Um, and, and, And thanks be to God, it's not even a reaction to his fatigue from hearing us complain so much. The reason God hasn't yet returned, that glorious day we all look forward to, is because he is so incredibly patient. Don't forget that. That's what verse 6 is all about. I love verse 6. Because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. We're so broken that we can be like, because I had a good week, God didn't destroy me. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, no, no, no. It's because I was like, oh, man, he did that again? Oh, baby. Love you. Patient with you. But I haven't changed. I haven't changed. The fact that you are not consumed in the wrath of God right now is evidence that God is unchanging. The fact that you still cry out for God to return is an evidence of his patience, not his indifference. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but he's patient towards you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He doesn't, doesn't want to shut the door yet. He doesn't want to shut the door yet. He can still fit a few more in. But he's not going to wait forever. He's not. So if you're sitting here this morning and your heart is still beating and your lungs are still drawing breath but you don't know Christ the reason your heart is still beating and your lungs are still drawing breath is because God is merciful and patient. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that this is a history lesson for us to look back on what happened hundreds of years ago in the lives of these people who were so very frustrated and and couldn't figure out how they could stand before a holy God. No, the, the message of Malachi, the message of God's patience is about you and if you can stand before a holy God. And if you're not a Christian yet, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the answer to that question, can you stand before a holy God, is a resounding, thunderous No. I don't care how much you've done. Are you going to stand in the face of the almighty creator and say, why should I let you into my heaven? And there's only one answer on the sheet. There's only one answer. The only answer you can possibly give is because Jesus Christ covered my sins with his death on the cross. That's the only answer. And he says, why should I let you into heaven? you're like, look at all the good I've done. You will not be standing before that holy God for very long. And that's why God, in love, sent his son, Jesus Christ. To do what he alone, as as God and man, could do. He he lived a perfect life that we couldn't possibly live because we are sinners. But then he placed himself in our place on that cross as our substitute, taking the punishment of our sin upon him. The, The punishment that we deserved, he bore in his body on that cross. Don't overlook God's patience. But don't take God's patience for granted either. I love, I love the fact that Malachi reminds us that before the judgment came the offer of purification and cleansing as Christ suddenly appeared in the temple. And because he has given us that purity, because when God looks at us, he sees the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness covering us, we can stand in his presence. And the only reason that is true is because God is incredibly faithful. Thank God for his faithfulness. Father, thanks for the goodness of your word, the fact that we find truth in it, even when it's hard truth. Lord, thanks that that even when we make a mess of things, (laughs) we always make a mess of things, that God, you are are willing to listen to us, to hear us, that you don't condemn us or squash us on the spot. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, I, I pray that we would be reminded of how faithful you've been to us and how little we deserve that faithfulness. And as a result, may we Worship you with with reckless abandon. May everything we do be about you. Lord, help us to stop living with one foot in this world and one foot in the other, but instead may we recognize that although we deserve condemnation, we deserve the judgment that you came and you made us righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. I pray for the one who's here this morning who may not know Christ. I pray today would be that day that they come to place their faith and their trust in him and in him alone. Lord, I, I pray your spirit would do it his work here, even as we close our time together. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, as we close, please, if you want to pray with somebody, head back to the prayer corner. Um, otherwise, would you stand and sing this great reminder of God?